Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. With me in the studio today are Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Johannes, who is Charleston District Commander for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and Brian Williams, who is Civil Works Chief for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers here in South Carolina. So, gentlemen, welcome to the Journal. Oh, thank you for having us. Thank you. Excited to be here. All right. Colonel, how about a little bit of background on you? You were in Italy before you came here, but, you know, where'd you go to school and how'd you end up in Charleston, South Carolina? So, uh, originally from Stillwater, Oklahoma, big Oklahoma State fan. Uh, now, it's kind of random because coming from Oklahoma, I'm probably one of the rare, I was, I think, the only person out of my high school in like 20 years period that went to West Point. Uh, it's just not a normal thing, you know, for folks to do that because I always wanted to be a soldier and an engineer. That's what I always wanted to be growing up. So, uh, which fortunately I was able to do that. I got educated there. Now, the interesting thing, though, is that my whole career, I've been basically mostly doing soldier-related things. Uh, and But now I'm excited because uh, I'm actually getting to use my education, my engineering technical knowledge for the, the current job I'm in, which is the 89th uh, commander of the Charleston District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. You said you're the 89th commander. So yes. So the Charleston District goes back, what, into the 19th century? Oh, it, it, yes. In fact, uh, we're celebrating 150 years, but it goes back even before then. Um, oh, wow. In fact, as the history goes, 1775, Corps of Engineer forms. Okay. Um, I believe during that period of time, uh, we had to outsource a lot of our engineering. In the War of 1812, in 1814, the British burned our capital. Mm-hmm kind of set up a red you know a red flag a, a big signal hey we've got a, a problem here so congress looked at this federal government looked at this at the time and they said hey we need to stop relying on outsourcing our engineering piece of this and we need to build some fortifications so they started this fortification program again the problem they had though was that the only place that we were producing engineers at the time was from West Point, and they just happened to go into the Army. Mm -hmm. So as part of this program, any of the major engineering-related things that the government at the time would go after, uh, they had to use Army engineers to do it. At that point in time, I think that's when we built the different fortifications down in Charleston, Moultrie, Sumter, and... There's a whole ring of forts, uh, you know, going all the way down, you know, you've got... Down the coastline, for sure. You know, you've got Pulaski, and you go on down to... Pensacola, Mobile, yep. New Orleans, mm-hmm. uh, building these wonderful 18th century brick forts. Yes, <laughs> that's it. Well, and and you know, interesting enough, that was another problem they identified back then was that just moving things around. At that point in time, we didn't have interstates. We didn't have the road network that we have today. Most of our logistics, be able to move things, people, those kind of things were on the waterways. And again, this goes back to the history of, well, if the only engineers you have are in the Army, those are the engineers you use. So the Army Corps of Engineers picked up the navigable waterway mission and keeping these waterways uh, open for, for federal use. And that's where we assume this mission. So that coupled with building defenses, now we've got the mission of going in and, and doing our, what we call our navigation mission basically ensuring that, that these waterways remain open and clear so that we can move traffic. One of the things you might have heard of, if you're ever driving along the coast, you'll see the uh, AIWW, the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway. That is a product of this. This is something the Corps of Engineers manages. We built this uh, starting way back in the 1930s. We put a lot more effort into it. And what was interesting about that, too, is that you that's where you had the threat at the time was German U-boats during World War II. But because we had this waterway that was inland, it helped protect that shipping traffic that would move along those waterways. We're the Army Corps of Engineers. That's who we are. But our mission is a lot bigger than what you would normally expect from the Army, yeah, per se. Y- yes, you, you have a civilian mission. And, Brian, that's your job description, right? <laughs> Yes, sir. All right, let's, let's, you came here from North Carolina, right? You're a North Carolina boy? Yes, sir. You went was, to NC State? Yes, I was. Uh, born in Raleigh. Uh, went to school at NC State. Got my engineering degree there. Uh, love beaches my entire life. So I went into what is a very small subset of civil engineering called coastal engineering. And really, uh, outside of a few 
um, uh, private companies that do engineering of beaches, the Army Corps of Engineers was the place to land as a coastal engineer. Uh, so I started my career with the Corps uh, about 19 years ago with the New York District, which was an eye-opening experience from a boy from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, spent two years there, got, got a little homesick for the South, and uh, landed here in, in the Charleston District and uh, have enjoyed it ever since. Well, well, good. Uh, I, I, they do have beaches up in the, the New York District. Does that include the Coney Island and those? It does. It's, so it's the shorelines of New York and then also part of New Jersey is the New York District's purview. Okay. And okay. Uh, they do have beaches. They're, they're very uh, great resources for the folks up there, especially to escape the city. Um, I went on a beach one time when it was snowing, and I swear there were ice chunks in the water. <laughs> and that was enough to convince me I needed to move back down south. <laughs> okay. Well, your mission, beaches, the waterways, stormwater drainage, is that part of? Well, sure. It goes back to the history again. Okay. Because we were in charge of the navigable waterways, well, if you think about it, too, for a waterway to be functional, there's tributaries and other water has to feed into it to keep that water moving. And because of that, uh, in fact, it was in, uh, I think, 1899, they did the Rivers and Harbors Act, where we actually assumed a regulatory uh, mission. And with that, we're looking at any waters that feed into these main federal waterways. Those are things that we have to regulate. That was the mission we had. 1971, we had uh, Environmental Protection Agency forming. We had NEPA, which is the, uh, the National, National Environmental Policy Prote Act. Yes. And so when those things came about, that basically put an additional requirement for us to where not only do we just look at are these what we call waters in the United States, are these federal waters, but also now we have to look at environmental impacts as well. It broadened the scope. All federal agencies were charged to do this. So now not only are we just looking at waters in the United States, see where that water flows, filling or removing wetlands or, or dredge material that, that hence, because if you think about it, if you fill something in, now you've taken away that water source to feed into those those main federal waterways, right? So, and of course, we're in the low country right here. Anytime you want to build something, what do you need to do? Fill something in, right? That's <laughs> the reason you have to come to us for a permit. Colonel, I guess people don't realize, unless they're actually building something, how much the core is involved with everyday life in the Carolina Low Country. I know neighbors used to and have a house on the coast wanted to build a berm. Well, that they had to get a perm environmental permit from the core. They weren't destroying any wetlands in order to to do that. But I think wetlands may be one of those misunderstood things today. I mean, it can actually apply to something away from the coast. For sure. A swamp Absolutely. that feeds into a creek that feeds into a river. And what's there's a tra people do trade-offs. I don't I don't understand that. How, can you Brian, can you explain that for for me and our listeners? I'm I've got a piece of property and I'm going to have to fill in or I ask to fill in land, but don't I have to find a trade-off to provide other wetlands? So that, that is uh, a really important function uh, throughout the state of South Carolina is the ability to have uh, what are called mitigation banks. So it's a, a landowner or, or somebody who's interested. They've got a piece of property. Maybe they're not using it as they used to anymore. It's got some wetland function on it. Maybe it needs a little bit of restoration or preservation those things, after they are preserved, after they are restored, they can actually provide credits for someone then who wants to do an action that would be have an adverse impact on a wetland. So if I'm going to impact one acre, uh, for example, of wetlands in, in what I, action I want to take, I may have to buy equal or maybe even more credits at this mitigation bank who's established maybe 100 acres worth of, of wetlands and preserved it uh, and restored it. And, and that's a, a relatively easy way for a homeowner or somebody uh, that's uh, not going to do big landscape level mitigation uh, to really get their project done. Uh, but we're also keeping that balance between uh, the economic growth uh, but also our environmental impact. 
So does the core control the bank, so to speak? Uh, no, we we don't control them, uh, but we do uh, review their permits. So they have to go through a permit process to establish a bank. Uh, we have to make sure that when they say they're going to actually restore and preserve X number of acres of wetlands, uh, that they actually follow through. And, and the site is as we would expect the quality of it to be. Okay. Yeah, we provide oversight is the... Yeah. The right word. And it actually, it benefits us greatly because prior to having these banks, uh, when we would do mitigation, they would do, oftentimes it would be mitigation on the site. Well, our ability to go and check a bunch of locations is very manpower intensive. And, you know, when it's manpower intensive, it costs money. It's, you know, however, now that we have these mitigation banks, uh, this allows us to still achieve the same effect without having to have as many people. It makes us more efficient. All right. And and I guess one of the other things people think about on the coast is uh, beach renourishment. Mm-hmm. Um, is that actually a mission of the core to renourish beaches or who pays who ends up paying for that now that's a great question um because we do have several beaches miles of coastline uh, within the state of south carolina that are under a federal what we call coastal storm risk management program uh that is a inside the core way of saying beach nourishment uh, <laughs> all right <laughs> and, and so please you, don't give me an acronym on that i, I will try not to yeah. <laughs> but absolutely um it, it, under that that is our mission coastal storm risk management beach nourishment happens to be a method for achieving that goal and by then placing sand which we all know is is a sacrificial function uh, it is not concrete. It is not steel. It is not going to stay there in perpetuity. Uh, the ocean is going to have its way with it. it. It is going to chew it up in a big storm. It is going to erode. Uh, but by placing that sacrificial feature in front of homes, roads, utilities, uh, we are reducing the amount of damage to the things that us as humans really care about, right? And and so that's that's the offset is really uh, placing that sand there in a very uh, consistent and engineered manner that we know is going to provide some benefit by homes not being destroyed, by roads not being washed out, and, and what have you. All right. Gentlemen, we need to pause for a moment, let our listeners know that I'm talking with Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Johannes and Brian Williams, both from the Charleston District of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And we're talking about the Corps' mission, its 150-year-old history, and how that impacts South Carolina. Uh, let's just add, I'll mention Folly Beach, which yeah. erodes, uh, and they have to get renourished fairly frequently. Does the town of Folly Beach pay for that? Does Uncle Sam pay for that? It does, I mean, does it come out of your Corps budget? How does that work? Well, we, we share in the cost. Uh, and Folly Beach, since you mentioned it, and I'm sure we'll get into Charleston Harbor and jetties and all that okay. during the course of our discussion. <laughs> sure. Uh, but I will go ahead and go there is uh, Folly Beach is actually recognized as being impacted from the jetties that stabilize the Charleston Harbor entrance. Uh, and Which so, were a core project at one point. Yes. Correct. <laughs> all right. uh, uh, and so um, we cost share all of our projects. And in the terms of a beach nourishment project, it is normally 65% paid by the federal government and 35% paid by the non-federal entity, in this case, the city of Folly Beach. But because there is that impact, uh, the mitigation of that impact is actually true change that cost sharing mechanism so the core actually pays 85 percent instead of 65 percent and the city pays 15 instead of this 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 is folly that's not that that's not everywhere that's 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 a specific example and one thing you'll know and this is what i've learned because as i've taken over this job is that Every almost every situation is a little different. We try to standardize things across there, but again, nature has a vote. History has a vote. There's so many things that come into play, and Folly Beach is a classic example of one of those where 
initially we put the jetties out there. We, and the, again, going back to our navigation mission that I was talking about, keeping that harbor open and functioning. But when we did that, we, we basically created the conditions to where their, their beaches are eroding away quicker. Yeah. And one other thing I, I'd, I'd like to point out too is that, because what we're talking about is our civil works mission. We have a whole nother set of missions too that we can talk about if you'd like. But right now, and that's what Brian's job is, he's my chief of civil works, right? Mm. And this is the part that is, outside that army umbrella really mm. one one benefit of this this is a benefit folly gets this is what myrtle beach gets this would gets all the beaches that we uh they get this federal insurance that comes with it so if we do have a big storm like the last big storm that came through congress got together they did a bipartisan bill they came up with money and this wasn't even a cost share this was fully funded here's money go put sand back on the beach get things back to where they need to be now, if we wouldn't have had that agreement in place and had what we call a federal project there already, you, you wouldn't be available for that. So, again, it's another kind of interesting, cool opportunity for some of these beaches that are able to do it. And it's so one of the things when I got here, I had no clue that we did this. And every day I'm learning something new of all these different things we do. Another thing we do right now, too, is, is with the water uh, supply issue with Lake Marion. Um, we have 45 miles of pipe or something that we put out there to date. Uh, we we might get more money with this infrastructure bill coming to develop projects and push more water distribution network, continue to improve that. Um, again, the reason why we're able to do it, this was something that was determined. Usually if it deals with water, there's a, and then Congress writes it into a bill and says, hey, into a law, it says, Corey, we authorize you to do it. And then if they get serious about it, they'll give us money and then we go execute. <laughs> and that's it. So, Walter, one of the important things that the colonel just touched on is that the, at the Corps of Engineers, we don't get discretionary money that we as engineers go decide what to do with it. Uh, we are a project-funded organization, so that means... Like the colonel said, Congress decides, hey, we're going to invest in this core. We're going to give you the money to go do it. Most of the times, uh, that is a cost-shared endeavor. So we're we're bringing federal dollars to play. But the way that a, a civil works project with the Corps of Engineers actually gets generated is we have to have a non-federal entity, uh, a county, state, city, um, some other partner. Uh, mm -hmm. to come to us and say, hey, I have a water resources problem and I would like you to help fix it. And then we have to look amongst our many different authorizations or permission that we've been given by Congress, find one that fits that bill, scrounge for the money to, to do it, <laughs> be given the money by Congress, and then proceed. Uh, and so that that's maybe something that listeners don't understand about us. I'm sure there are a lot of things uh, out there uh, behind the core umbrella that folks don't know how things work. Um, but we're, we don't just sit around and decide what we're going to do next. Um, we really depend on the folks within the state of South Carolina to, to tell us what's important and, and where they need some help. All right, and I want to head to that in just a minute, but I want to ask one last question about beach renourishment. Where do you get the sand that you use? For, is this dredged from far out, or do you use sand from inland, or does it depend? It, it depends. Um, so we can use sand kind of offshore in the ocean, which we have done primarily at Myrtle Beach. Uh, we can use sand on some occasions from nearby rivers and the shoals that are created. We have done that uh, at Folly Beach. And so it's really a mix of, number one, what is compatible. Uh, so the sand needs to be compatible with the native material, what was already there before we ever did anything. Uh, and then uh, also it needs to be cost effective. Mm. So all of our projects are balanced, the benefit that is derived versus the cost. And if the benefits don't exceed the cost, then 99.9% .9 of the time, that's not an endeavor that we're going to be involved in. Uh, and so balancing those costs and those benefits and finding what is the most efficient and effective manner is really the job of our great engineers and scientists that are at the core to, to figure out in concert with those local entities and, and come up with a project that makes sense. We also have to 
to interact with federal and state entities, organizations. An example we're talking about here with Folly, uh, there's, we call it COBRA, which is Coastal Barrier Resources Act. Coastal Barrier Resources Act. So what that is, is it's an environmental... I love those acronyms. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So, and what that is, is it's these protected areas for environmental purposes, right? That's mm-hmm. why they were put in place. This is federal level uh, and they're regulated. Now, in this case, the sand that we put on Folly Beach tends to move into that area. So, of course, we want to take the sand and put it back out, Right. Kind of makes sense. However, because it's in that protected area, now it's created a challenge for us because that's managed by another federal uh, entity. So now we have to cross out and federal law. So for us to be able to go in there, Congress has to write another law to tell us that we have an exception so we can go do that. So, so what that means is that sometimes this can take a while. It's a lot of work. It's complicated. But we have great people that work for us that, and we and we do. We really have great partnerships, even with the other federal agencies, to make this happen. Okay. So, so this is a problem. So, who's going to ask Congress to do the to, to make this particular bill? Is that going to come from the state, or does somebody the core liaison with Congress says South Carolina needs to pass X bill? How does that work? Right. Um, well, we're not actually allowed to lobby Congress. Yeah, we can't. <laughs> so, so. so we can tell Congress, uh, you know, what authorizations we currently have. Right. We can, you know, help uh, educate them on, on what we can do, what they've told us we, we could do in the past. Uh, we can tell them how much money uh, that going about and doing something will cost. Uh, but ultimately, if there is uh, a, a challenge that uh, may need a legislative fix through Congress, uh, really the the locals and and how they deal with their uh, congressional representatives is really kind of how that proceeds uh, in the most efficient and effective manner. Okay. And we do talk to the congressional uh, delegations here. We talk to the both the state and the the federal. Um, frequently we're we're almost tied at the hip with these kind of things so we communicate from our side though we just communicate basically the facts and say hey this is you know this is our current constraint and it's going to cost this much more because we can't use this now if we could use this this would reduce the cost and then that can make its way to washington through there but the the way i would i would say the the best way we do that, though, is through our partnerships, through our engagements, through communication to, to all the different stakeholders and entities that are involved. All right. Gentlemen, let's now look at the multi-billion dollar monster out there that the Corps is involved with. Saving Charleston from becoming Venice. You know, I've seen the, the plans. I've actually got, you know, I've got the maps here. All right. Who commissioned the Corps? How did this get started? Right. And, and I was there when it started, so that, that's exciting. Okay, Brian, um, you tell us. I, I, I love to be a part of these things where we've got, in this case, the city of Charleston. And uh, at the time, Mark Wilbert, their chief residency officer uh, in their engineering department, came to us with several different challenges they had from a, a water resources perspective, because that's why people come to us. They got a water problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they said, you know, we've got flooding. We're doing our own interior drainage projects in some areas. We've got others that are planned. But, you know, this threat from hurricanes, from nor'easters, from tropical storms, you know, what can the Corps do? And so, you know, we put our heads together at the core. We put our heads together with the city. We said, hey, we've got this authorization on the books uh, that uh, Congress gave us yay many years ago that would allow us to do a a study. Um, And then they write us a letter and they say, "Okay, great. We we would love for the core to partner with us to to do a study to figure out how do we uh, reduce the risk from catastrophic flooding, from from coastal storms. And then we wait. We wait for money. We wait for somebody to say, okay, Core, here you go. And it really was, a, a I think, a, a great timing because we had this Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018, which came along in response to a series of hurricanes that devastated a lot of places throughout the southeast and Puerto Rico. 
Uh, and it came with 100% federal funding. And it was, if you've got an existing authorization, let us know. And the rest is kind of history. Uh, we, we qualified for it. Uh, the, the city wanted to move forward. $3 million federal funding to do a study. And, and away we went. And what I'd like to emphasize is that's just a study. It's a feasibility study. It's like an initial look. Think of it as a this an is initial. A, this is this is not a blueprint. There are no plans. no. There's not a plan. <laughs> the, the solution is not presented. In fact, and again, with the constraints and everything else, we we it's very it would be very difficult for us to come to any decent solution with. Uh, and and it's not the process. Remember, we are the government, so we work with processes, right? So we can be consistent and fair. And yep. So did y'all do the study in-house, or did you hire a, a civil engineering firm to do it? How did, how did that work, Brian? Right. Uh, the vast majority was, was in-house uh, to the Corps of Engineers, and that's not just the Charleston District. So the Corps of Engineers is 35,000-plus individuals spread all across the nation in different divisions and districts. We all communicate with each other. So if we need an expertise that we don't have sitting in the Charleston District, we reach out and go grab it. And so we had folks from all across the nation that came together as part of this team. And they may stay where they are in Sacramento, California, but they're still working on a Charleston project. And so we we put all these uh, experts together um, in great partnership with the city of Charleston. We do come up with a, a feasibility level design. Um, so think about if you're renovating a kitchen, right? We don't get to the point where you're picking out knobs and, and all your finishes. We're telling you what, how much cabinet space you're going to get. Uh, and, and then the rest of the details come later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's kind of maybe not a great analogy, but it it's, uh, helps kind of put it in perspective a little and, bit. And you also don't know how much it's going to cost. Well, we, we have uh, an estimate. So it's, it's currently $1.1 billion. Um, and I will say that that is a, a lot of money. When we talked earlier about benefit versus cost, that is offset by 10 times uh, the benefit. So we're going to prevent 10 times more damages than, than the, the cost uh, of putting a solution in place. So for every dollar, you know, we're going to send save $10 potentially in the future from damages, in this case, to coastal storm. Well, um, Colonel, I'm not sure that you, you realize how much of Charleston, the Charleston Peninsula, is just fill. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I do because we've we have old great, maps. We've got some great maps. We've got uh, some old maps. So Hal- when you look Halsey at that, map, yes. I, I think, is the one we refer to quite a lot. But, uh, yes, you can see the the original footprint of the peninsula is, is I mean, far water, smaller. I mean, end of the 19th century, Water Street really was water. Water, yes. The market was two creeks going back to the colonial days. I know they would just throw anything in there <laughs> and a little bit of dirt, and then they would build on top of yeah. it. And, of course, all of that's subsiding, and it's not particularly stable. <laughs> it's what we call an engineering challenge. And uh, and one thing I'd like to point out to you, what Brian described, it's just the overall approach of how it – and that comes maybe from some of the Army aspects of this – like in the Army, anytime we're approached with a, a mission or a problem, problem, and you know, which turns into a mission of how to get after, right? We form teams. And that's what we do on this in this study. And we form teams, and based on those teams, we, we go try to solve the problem. Well, in this case, uh, those teams that we form, like Brian was saying, is that we pull in on this team, we try to pull in all the expertise that we can so that we come up with the, the, the best solution that, that, we can, that we can do it. So we're a team-based organization. And right now, the team is focused on just the feasibility. Is there a federal interest here? Is there a federal project that we can execute? The With the output of this being, and this is critical, is this, we call it the chief's report, right? And chief means uh, it's it, right now it's Lieutenant General Spellman. He's the, the chief of engineers. He gets a report and if he agrees with it, he will sign that report. And based on that, now we have what we call a authorized federal, pro- well, it goes to 
to right. has to go There's get approved by a couple more steps, but you know it goes. It still has to go get a, approved by the assistant secretary of the army, civil works, and then. But at that point, though, we're there. We're there. When I say that, I mean that now we have a potential federal project here. But again, that's just potential federal project. You know, we then there's the next phase, which we call the pre-construction engineering and design phase. And that's where we really get after the details, uh, where we de- determine, as Brian was saying, which knobs we're going to use. We're going to and we draw that out and we put all the detail we can in there. And then what we normally do is we have a contractor go build it or multiple contracts. We have an ac- acquisition plan that we put in place to, to do that. And then that's when we get into the construction phase. Now, we say we build a lot of stuff, but actually contractors build things, <laughs> but we oversee the contractor. Okay. And when we, and to even include the harbor deepening, which again, we're very proud of. In fact, when it's finished uh, next fall, it'll, you know, Charleston will be the deepest harbor on the East Coast. Wow. Uh, but even for that one too, those are all contractors that are out there. We, the Corps actually does own, I think is what, four dredges. So we, we do, do have a dredge fleet. We, that's uh, it. That's, that's about correct. it in terms of capability. The rest well, of it, we contract out. And, and we have some, some very uh, capable folks that work at our hydropower projects. You know, So we've got tradesmen, craftsmen that, that fix, repair, sure. improve things. Uh, but the Colonel is is correct. By and large, by and large, we, our, our our projects that we quote put in the ground are 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 contracted, and and we depend on our partners in industry uh, to get us across sure. the finish line. Gentlemen, we need to pause for a moment and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edgar's journal, and I'm talking with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Johannes and Brian Williams from the Charleston District, the Corps of Engineers. All right, so let let's talk about the Charleston. Seawall. I mean, it's it's actually more than a seawall. It's a hurricane protection because you've got drainage, you've got gates, you've got all sorts of. Uh, it's a complex system that has to work together. For yes, sure. it, it just and it's part of a system. And I say that, and we have to emphasize this. This is for coastal storm surge risk reduction. It's not for your sunny day flooding or even for rainy day type flooding. Uh, that's that's the complete system. I mean, Charleston yes. only floods every five days. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and no, no, the city is getting after all aspects of it. We're working one piece right now. This is the piece that we're working now. We would say that it's your biggest hazard, right? It has the most risk associated with it, especially when you look at public safety, uh, evacuation route, all the infrastructure that's there. And again, this is why it's good to come to the Corps because we're an enterprise-level organization. We do this across the the whole United States. And one area you might have be familiar with, but New Orleans, they have a lot of challenges down there. We bring a lot of expertise, a lot of lessons learned, uh, things that, you know, that's just one example. So when we look at that, we, this is one piece of a more complex problem set. Okay. So as of November 2021, what is the status of the, the project for the storm surge protection of Charleston? So we have completed uh, a, a draft feasibility report and environmental impact statement. And that, that's a lot of words. But basically, uh, we have uh, done our, our study level analysis uh, that comes up with a draft recommendation, uh, which has, you know, the wall uh, of different types. It has uh, some, some pumps uh, to, to help with any potential ponding effect in, inside of the wall. Uh, and then it has some what we call non-structural measures, uh, which are areas within the peninsula that for one reason or, or another, maybe topography, uh, maybe existing drainage, would not directly benefit from the wall per se, uh, but through some flood proofing, that's either elevating homes or, or other engineering solutions, uh, we can still provide benefit to those areas. So those are kind of the, the main components of it. Uh, so we've described those in a report that has been put out for public review. We've received comments back from the public. Uh, we are analyzing and, and considering those comments. Uh, we've sent it to state and federal agencies that the colonel said we have great partnerships with and have to work with all of the time. Uh, and our own internal to the core has 
reviewed, commented, and, and deliberated to make sure that what we're proposing is consistent with our own policies. And there's and, also nature-based features in there, and that was actually one of the bigger changes because the first draft, which had a bigger price tag and uh, a lot of comments we received, was basically, hey, we'd like to see more nature-based mm -hmm. features. So, yeah. again, went back to the drawing board. and uh, Okay, all right. Describe yep. that, nature-based features. So, right now we're envisioning them to be uh, something similar to an oyster reef kind of complex. And, and so there's multiple different ways to, to go about making that happen, to construct it or let nature help you construct it. But in this case, they'd be you know kind of right outside the wall, so in the water, uh, that are really going to help uh, protect and be a feature that um, helps the, the resiliency of the wall itself. Uh, but also provides some uh, environmental benefit. And so, you know, uh, oysters, great for, for water quality. Um, I know a lot of people like to eat them. I, I'm, I'm not one of them, <laughs> but <laughs> these won't yeah. be for eating. These will be for, uh, for creating a structure that provides habitat and benefit and also helps kind of that resiliency of the wall itself. Okay, but, but we're really looking at, if all of a sudden a miracle happened in November 2021 uh, and said, wow, it's, it's a go, it would be years before that project was completed, right? Because as, you, as yes. you mentioned, Colonel, there, there are stages beyond this. There, there, there absolutely are. As we've talked, all of the fill and everything that has gone on on the peninsula over the 350 plus years that the city of Charleston has been there, we've got to do some additional investigation to figure out what, what are the subsurface soils like? Can we effectively build a wall that can sit on the surface? Do we absolutely have to drive piles everywhere to get down to the Cooper Marl, which is you know, this really complex and compact clay layer that would support loads from the wall. Where are the utilities buried? Do we even know that they all exist? Are there historical and cultural resources that we may encounter during construction? So there are, are a lot of steps still to be done. Oh, and also we have to actually design the nuts and bolts of the wall. And everything from, so yeah, so we have to come up with that final design that final plan right then again we have to have an acquisition strategy do we do this with one contract do we do this with multiple contracts nature the weather has a vote right so when we go out to actually physically build it again you run into different site conditions uh, weather conditions another storm could hit while we're in the middle of doing it so it's, of course it's construction a lot of things can happen as as we move forward so we have a timeline that we try to adhere to it. In fact, we call it winning. So again, that's where the Army and the Corps kind of come together. The chief of staff of the Army, when he puts out his vision and all that, he says this is, you know, he wants every organization to describe what is winning, right? So General Smellman, our, our chief of engineers, he describes winning as we're delivering quality projects on time within budget safely. That's it. That's what we we try to achieve. So, uh, you know, pulling it back to the peninsula, um, yeah, it, I think what it, we estimate seven years, I think, is the overall window for all this to happen. But again, there's a lot of things that could happen in between. The process actually taking a little longer oftentimes benefits our non-federal sponsors because sometimes even if we're able to get the money from the federal side – the non-federal sponsor, in this case, uh, city of Charleston, would have to provide 35% of the funding for the project. Well, this gives them time to raise funds and to, 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 to be able to pay for it. So you're right. It wouldn't just happen in November and, wow, now there's a wall. That would be great if we could do that. But <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and I think we need to remind yeah. folks is, yes. assuming that project is, is a go, you still – all your other missions are, go, oh, yes, you know, it, are, are going on as That's well. Right. You're yes, doing right. beach renourishment. You know, uh, at some point, Charleston Harbor is going to have to be redredged again. Yep. Uh, Not just there. We have, you know, what is right. it, 300 miles of navigational yeah. channel yeah, lanes th that th we Throughout maintain. the state. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. 
So um, we have to we have that, and and now because we're getting more money uh, mm-hmm. with this new infrastructure bill, uh, again we don't know how much of that is coming to South Carolina specifically at this point, um, but we already have been given more money for our regulators to help with the permitting process, mm-hmm. and what we always like to say too when we when we talk to congressional folks, more money to our regulatory program doesn't mean that we're going to regulate things more. It just means faster permitting. <laughs> so we have more people to work permits um, type thing. Um, but also, too, we've had a backlog in some of these uh, navigation. Uh, we call it O&M, our operation and maintenance areas. So uh, potentially we might get more money there. So, yep. Well, let's get back to where we were. You know, the other projects are ongoing. That they're there. I mean, right. you can't you can't stop them. Nor would we want to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, but I mean it. Uh, and if you like, I can give you just a real big overview of some of these other things we have going on. I, Colonel, I would appreciate that. So I think what we've talked about mostly so far is what we call our civil works mission, and that's that's what Brian's job is. He's my chief of civil works, but we also have a military program as well, and and then we also have a. You know, we just think of it as a support to other agencies program. Well, in our military program, we have Fort Jackson and we're building buildings on Fort Jackson right now. So we're building, we call Milcon, but like the building we're sitting in right now is we build this level of building for the Army. Uh, We're building buildings on Joint Base Charleston. Uh, We are building... In fact, we're real excited with the uh, Veterans Administration, VA, uh, up in Columbia. We just got the authorization and awarded the contract to build a new building there, a rehab clinic. Um, I think there's a $13 million building there. So we've got that thing. We maintain, we do the preventive maintenance. Uh, We have a program, we call it our Facility Investment Services Program, where we do Everything from small project work orders to large projects for a whole range of customers to include all your Marine Reserve forces, their facilities that aren't on a Navy station, but all those remote ones across the whole country. So our mission expands across the whole country and Puerto Rico. We do that for the 81st, the Army 81st Readiness Division. We do, we again, we, we, we do facility maintenance, everything from small projects to bigger, uh, we call it uh, sustainment. Restoration, uh, and, restoration modernization. and modernization. Mm-hmm. Like restoring type buildings. We do work with that and we do that for, we also do it for uh, the Defense Logistics Agency, DLA, for some of their warehouses. So we have a program that not only just that expands outside of South Carolina, where we're using our engineering, contracting, construction quality assurance expertise, because that's really what we provide. We able to, you know, we write a contract and then we go monitor the contract to make sure that whatever the contractor is building is building it correctly to standard. And then we pay them and then we provide feedback. And so we have this, like I said, pretty, pretty big program. It's not just the civil works that's that, that it's all encompassing. But on the flip side, we also have all that expertise within our organization that we can pull from. Uh, you know, we're not just because you're working on the military side doesn't mean you only do that type thing. So we ha- we can leverage uh, that expertise across the board to, to, to get after these engineering challenges and, and like I said, deliver quality projects uh, on time within budget safely. And, you well, know, we've got a $600 million harbor deepening yes. uh, going, going on. Um, I think the Ravenel Bridge was a $600 million, right? Uh, roundabout. Roundabout. Think, so yeah. same level of investment is what we're finishing that project with. So, um, And will be delivered on time and within budget. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, once that's over, uh, Walter, like you said, We'll get back into our annual uh, maintenance program for the Charleston Harbor, removing those accumulated uh, silts and sediment uh, that keeps safe, efficient navigation moving. You know, the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway, which we've talked about, 210 miles of that. Well, that re- that reminds me, there, there's, we have a problem here, and I know it's other places too, is abandoned boats in the waterway. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, and it's kind of it's you know you would think if if a boat's abandoned, why in the heck can't they just be cleared away? But it's it's not that easy a process. No, it's not. Um, uh, we don't particularly get involved in that unless it 
happens to break its mooring, if if it actually is moored to anything, or if for some reason it's you know floated by a, a really high tide in a storm or something and ends up in the channel, uh, floating debris within the channel uh, kind of negates that safe and efficient mm-hmm. uh, marine transportation. Uh, so we do get involved at that point if there's something hazardous floating in the channel. Uh, we we've got contractors that we can when, turn on to go get yeah, that kind of but stuff. A, but an abandoned boat—that's a Department of Natural Resources yes. problem in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. is, unless it's in the federal channel. In fact, what's interesting—even if it's not abandoned—sunken boats, like obstacles in the channel. You know, going back to our history, yeah. I believe. Uh, Colonel Gilmore, he was, Quincy Gilmore was our first uh, official, you know, had established the office here in Charleston, right? One of the first things he did when he got here was remove a lot of sunken ships from the Civil War era time frame to clear out the harbor <laughs> to yeah. get it functional again, right? So that yeah. was, that that has always been a key portion of, you know, keeping, that's why it's not just silt and it's, it's also it goes back to our permitting too, mm-hmm. You think about it, if somebody wants to build a dock or put something out there into that navigable, that navigable waterway that could obstruct it, then it becomes something that we have to be involved in. And we have to permit or enforce and go in and say, hey, you need to remove this because this is a federal waterway. We need to keep this this open so that we can uh, continue to have uh, ship traffic. Not just There's a whole mixture of things for a federal waterway. It's commerce, so it helps the local economy and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it's also strategic. It's moving some of our defense assets and defense level things too. So hence the, where the federal interest comes into play here too. That's how those things all tie together. Well, this is a historic project that didn't come about, but people wanted it to. One of the purposes of the Santu Cooper Lakes, besides all the other things they did, water control, the, the plan was to make Columbia an inland port. That's why there's the big lock mm-hmm. there. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Huh? Yeah, that was, that, yeah. Was, that was the hope of Columbia. They had, they had been shipping up, coming up here when the, when the waters were right, mm-hmm. uh, usually in the spring and summer. Uh, but as late as 1961 or 62, people in Columbia were still trying to push to make Columbia uh, an inland port. Then they realized that the riverbed is solid rock going, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it would take too much, you know, nobody was going to take that on. So the, the, the dream that Columbia officials had had for over a century came a cropper. No, it's not, it's not going to become an inland port. Uh, so No, that's super interesting to hear, and I'm glad you brought that up because one of – this is something I always like. If you tell the story of our civil works program, you know, here in, in, in South Carolina, I always like to talk about Lake Marion and Lake Moultrie and the Santee and the Cooper River. Well, and, and there was a project. It, it was completed ahead of schedule and under budget. The Santee Cooper project. Yes. Now, but it's the why. Why did we end up doing this? And it t- it really ties back into the core mission of what we're doing here. Remember what I said earlier. One of our core missions is those navigable waterways. Realistically, the, the important one is the Charleston Harbor. It's keeping the Charleston Harbor open. At that time, too, we had the naval base there, right? Yeah. We had... Uh, a lot of a, a, a lot of assets there, and aside from just the commercial side, yeah. we also had a, a military uh, a mission there to, for that naval yeah. base. Alfred's giving me the wind up sign, yeah. so uh, the hook, Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> Alfred's giving Alfred's giving me the wind up sign. Any last comments you'd like to make for our listeners, Brian? I'll start with you. Okay. Um, it's been a great pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you so much for having us. Um, if it hasn't come across uh, through this, then then the colonel and I have failed in, in our passion for the mission of the Corps of Engineers. Uh, so hopefully folks learned a little bit. Uh, we're excited to, to continue our missions. Particularly those, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm being a little selfish, the Civil Works missions uh, that touch every life within South Carolina and throughout the nation. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity to work for this organization. It's been a pleasure, and um, thank you so much. All right, Colonel. Well, first of all, again, thank you for having us on here. Uh, this is we were super excited when you uh, offered to let us be on your show, and uh, in fact. Uh, 
quite a few of our employees listened to it and they got excited when they heard about <laughs> it. So um, the one thing we always like to put out, especially publicly, though, when we're talking directly to the public, um, you know, I told you about our core mission of delivering quality projects on time within budget safely. And this, I like to emphasize the safety piece of that, uh, especially for projects that are out in the water, right? Because, yeah, if we're building a building on a construction site, especially on an Army base like up at Fort Jackson, we have a lot of control over that. We can control who comes in and out type thing. But where we, we, there, where we get the most risk is where, say, in the deepening, where we have dredges opening out or re-nursing a beach, or we just recently completed the Crab Bank near Shim Creek, right? Well, when we do that, we can't put a construction fence around there. We just, it just, we just can't do it. So we try to do everything, but the most important thing we can do is try to communicate to folks and say, hey, especially boaters that are out there, stay away from the dredges. If you're ever on a boat out there, we're, we're out there working and we're doing, uh, you know, Charleston Harbor, but all along the coast. Be safety conscious. That the, would be the biggest thing I'd like to just push out to, to right. the public. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Johannes and Brian Williams, thank you so much for being with us today on The Journal. This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. I know that I did. It was a fascinating conversation and really an educational one for me, finding out what the Corps' mission was, how long it's been here, and the impact it has on all South Carolinians. And it's another interesting facet and part of our history. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's Journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.